So if you go through the parasha, you have the basically the last, the last of the plagues, the last three plagues. Mm-hmm. You have in the middle between nine and ten, Hashem telling Bnei Israel that you're going to establish Rosh Chodesh. This is the first month of the year, and then at the end of the parasha, we have the two chap, the two paragraphs which we have in the Tefillin, which talk about when you're going to go into the land and the and the giving of the Bechor. And that relates to the death of the, of the firstborn, which is obviously the last plague. So when Rashi begins the Torah, when we begin the Torah, Bereshit bara Elohim, Rashi, the first Rashi in the Torah says, it's strange to me, he says there's a question, why does the Torah begin with Bereshit? If the Torah is a book of laws, it should actually start in this week's parasha, where we where we where we have in this week's parasha the commandment Hachodesh Hazeh Lachem. This month for you is the first of the months, because in the whole book of Bereshit we only have three commandments, and those commandments didn't have to be there; they could have been anywhere else. Those three commandments are in Bereshit Peru Revu that we should have children, that we should have Brit Milah. And the last one is Gid Hanasheh. Gid Hanasheh is when Yaakov is fighting with the angel, when he hits him on the thigh, and therefore we don't eat uh, that part of the, the animal, uh, which is uh, uh, filet mignon, right? right? Real filet mignon. We don't eat real filet mignon. We eat the kosher version of filet mignon. And now my wife, so maybe we don't eat uh, skirt steak now because there's a problem. She saw that was in Brooklyn. They told her there's a problem in separating... Maybe separating the fat? I don't know. That's a new one for me. Yeah, of course. Of course. Also, uh, uh, hmm? Sarah by Frida. Moshe Ben. Shoshana. And? Anyone else? Okay. Also, uh, Yaakov Ben uh, Margalit. Having surgery. Okay, so... Uh, so, so, so the, again, we have those three. So Rashi asks the question, why don't we begin the Torah from here? This is the first real mitzvah for the whole nation. Why don't we begin here? And he says that Hashem begins in Bereshit because we want to show that Hashem created the world. And since Hashem created the world, Hashem decides who gets the land and who gets everything. But the question really is, why don't we begin the Torah from here? This is the month for you. This is the month of Nisan. These are the laws of establishing Rosh Chodesh. And then I think a, more, a, a better question might be, if you're writing the Torah and you want to give laws, what's the first law you would give the Jewish nation? It might be the Ten Commandments, I'm God. It might be, you know, between people. Why would the first law in the whole Torah being given to the Jewish nation be... This month is for you. This is how you establish Rosh Chodesh. Why would that be the first, the first law in the Torah? You can ask. But how does, how does establishing a new moon teach you Midot? How does, it's a fresh start. So that's a good way that it's a fresh start. Um, I, I, I think the, the main reason is, and there's the interesting thing because the Midrash says and Rashi brings that when Hashem is pointing out the new moon to Moshe, that you're going to establish the new moon, Moshe doesn't understand. And for me, it always bothered me. What do you mean you don't understand? If I would tell you that we say it's a new moon when we look in the sky and we see the first sliver 
of the new moon. When you could see the first sliver of a new moon, then you could testify, I saw the new moon. And that's how it was for centuries and centuries. They would wait till someone sees the sliver. That person would come to the court and then that court would say it's, 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 it's Rosh Chodesh and they would announce from mountain to mountain throughout the whole country with bonfires, tonight is Rosh Chodesh. That's how it was. We would establish Rosh Chodesh. So the question, why would that be the first mitzvah of all the mitzvot in the Torah? One way of thinking is that where were we for 200 years, 210 years? We were in Egypt. And in Egypt, at least for the last 86 years of our living in Egypt, we were slaves. And, there's, and, and for the last, we don't know how long, they weren't just slaves making bricks, they were also collecting the straw. Collecting the straw. straw. So what happened is when Moses came to Pharaoh... You said that it's the first mitzvah in the Torah. The first but, mitzvah. But why? Because we were saying we had the other mitzvah. So, but this is the first given to the Jewish nation as a whole. The other mitzvah, Peru, was only given to Adam. And we took that. The mitzvah of Brit Milah was given to Abraham for himself, and he does for Yitzchak, and we took that. And the, and the Gida Nasher was only because of the wrestling match with, mm-hmm. with Yaakov. But Moshe is told, this is the mitzvah you give to Bnei Yisrael. So the first reason you could say is when you're a slave, the one thing you're not a master over of, over time. is your time. Mm-hmm. Your time is subject to the person who's your master. So for you to break the mindset of a slave to a free person, realize that you have to be a master of time. But how does that work? And how does that work for us to understand on a higher level? So when the, the Midrash says that the angels come to Hashem and they ask Hashem, when is Yom Kippur this year? And Hashem says, I don't know. Go ask my children below. Why is that important? So we know that the Jewish holidays aren't just something we celebrate because it was a holiday. For example, we say that when the angels came to Lot, when they were going to destroy Sodom, Lot baked for them Ugot, it says. And Rashi writes there, why did Lot bake Ugot? He says, because it was Pesach. What does that mean? It was Pesach. Lot is literally... 400 years before Pesach. So how could Lot be celebrating Pesach 400 years before the Exodus? But the rabbis tell us that there's a spiritual power associated with each day of the year, and that spiritual power resonates beyond the holiday itself. So for example, two weeks ago we read that Moshe Rabbeinu is born. We say that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was born on the seventh day of Adar. The seventh day of Adar. And his mother keeps him in the house for three months. And then after three months, she puts him in a basket and puts him by the side of the river. She puts him in the most dangerous place you could imagine putting him. In the river, near Pharaoh's palace, where his daughter is bathing where anyone would take him then and kill him. Why is she confident? Why didn't she send him up north or down? If she was able to hide him for three months, because she gave birth early, and the Egyptians kept a record of everyone's pregnancy and saw their due dates, that's the Midrash. Why then does she put him in the water? 
that on the ninth month. So the answer Monique is giving is the answer that the rabbis bring is once she places him in the water, the astrologers see that the Savior was placed in the water and they don't throw any more babies in the water. So she was doing it to save all the other babies. Could you repeat that one more? Yes. So the, astro- the, the astrologers, why did, why did Pharaoh decide to throw all the babies in the water? And it's not only the Jewish babies, even the Egyptian babies. Why was he killing every boy baby? Because his astrologer said, the savior of these people is going to be born now. And we don't know if he's Egyptian or he's Jewish, because we see that Moses himself was brought up in the palace. He's born as a Jew, he's, he's nursed by his real mother, but he's brought up by Batya, who actually names him, and he's in the palace. So we don't know if it's an Egyptian or a Jew. So Pharaoh is throwing every single kid because he doesn't want anyone coming after him. Now what happens is once she places the basket in the water, the astrologers say to Pharaoh, we saw that the Savior was placed in the water. Why in the water? Because they see that the end of Moses or the end of the Savior will come through water. How? Because Moses later on hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And because he hits the rock, he ends up not going into the land and he dies. So the, the astrologers see a picture, but they don't see it completely. And there's no question. Astrology has a reality, a basis of a reality. If you look in Ramban, in Maimonides, if you look in the Orachayim, they'll all show you where astrology works. So we're saying now, why would she place them? So that's a, that's a great reason. She's doing it to save all the other babies. But why, is she have, why does she have confidence that he will survive when she places him in the water? So, oh, the tide won't the take him away. But still, we, we still see, we still see that, there's a baby in the we still see there's a baby and the, the servants of, of Batya want to kill him. But mm-hmm. Mo- Mo- Monique has the answer. If you count forward three months from the seventh of Adar, go forward three months, you come up to the date of the sixth of Sivan. The sixth of Sivan is what day? The day we receive the Torah. The day Moses receives the Torah. So she's banking on the great spiritual power of that day associated with her child where the angels are going to say to God, God, this is the day he's going to receive the Torah. How can you have him die? So there's a spiritual power associated with each day regardless of the event happening. It could be before the event going forward. So for example, the worst day of the year for the Jewish people is Tisha B'Av. And the next worst day we could say is Shiva Sarbat B'Tamuz, the 17th of Tammuz. Why is, why is Tisha B'Av such a terrible day? Because it was the destruction of the temple. Why is Shiva Sarbat B'Tamuz such a terrible day? Because it's the day they broke the walls in to come into the temple. Now think, the only way you could have a terrible day is if that day had extreme power on the other side. Basically, those two days should have been the biggest holidays of the year. They had a tremendous spiritual power, those days. What was the spiritual power associated with the 17th of Tammuz? The 17th of Tammuz was the day 
Moses came down from the mountain and we should have received the Torah and there would have been no death anymore and everything in the world would have changed. But six hours before Moses came back, what happened? We jumped the gun and we worshipped the golden calf. So we took a day of tremendous spiritual power, the day that should have changed the world. And what did we do? We reversed polarity. If the energy is so high on one side and you mess it up, the energy comes so dangerous on the other side. It's like you take electric wires filled with energy and then all of a sudden you cut it. Now what happens? You have dangling wires with tremendous energy. What do you have to do? Hit the deck. Because you don't want, and that's why at that time, we sort of sit on the floor. Now Tisha B'Av, what was the power of Tisha B'Av? Tisha B'Av was the day the spies came back and B'nai Israel should have said, we're going into the land. If they would have said, we're going into the land that day, then who would have gone into the land with them? Moses. He would have built the temple and everything would have been done. And we would have fixed the sin of the golden calf. Because God said, okay, we're going to push it aside. The only time the golden calf really sin came out again was when we messed up with rejecting the land. So, so that's why Tisha B'Av, it had tremendous energy, tremendous power. It should have been the day to change. And what did we do? We cut the wires on that day. We reversed it, and now you have danging wires with energy that's there to harm us. But it must be also that when something is so powerful and that potential, then right there is the force of evil. Exactly, because what we say is everything in this world is 50-50. God always creates everything within balance. So they say the great Sadiq, he's this high in his greatness, but his Yetzir Hara is as great as his greatness is because the challenge always has to be 50-50. So the more you grow in life, the more your challenges will be because it'll take you to the next level. There's always a balance of 50-50. Now, keeping this in mind, and everything is always a balance of 50-50. Please. Can I ask you something? When So the, the, the question really is, but if she had the, I mean, just for me, I, I, we weren't there, obviously. She's there, she's there for three months. She's there for three months. She's one of the midwives that Paros said to her, every baby that's born, you should kill it. She said no. Couldn't she have sent it to a relative in the South, in the North? Couldn't she come up with another plan as opposed to putting him in the water? But she does it. She puts him in the water for multiple reasons. One reason she puts him in the water is because she realizes that that will stop every other baby from dying. Why does she have confidence that it'll work? Because it is the day he's going to bring the Torah. Now that day, a sixth of Sivan, even though he doesn't bring the Torah yet, has a spiritual power. So there are days in the calendar that have a spiritual power. We know, for example, on Yom Kippur, and that's the example I started, on Yom Kippur, Hashem, the, the angel asks Hashem, when is Yom Kippur? He says, ask my people. What does that mean, ask my people? Because Hashem doesn't pick the day of Yom Kippur. What? We know that if you sleep the whole Yom Kippur, 
You go to sleep at night of Yom Kippur and you wake up after Yom Kippur is done. You didn't go to shul. You fasted because you were sleeping. You get kapara. Why? Because you existed through the day of Yom Kippur. Existing through the day of Yom Kippur does something for me because there's an energy associated with Yom Kippur. Where does the energy of Yom Kippur come from? That's the day that Moshe gets Hashem to say, I forgive them. Once Hashem says, I forgive them from the golden calf that day, it becomes a day of forgiveness always. So there's like an energy. And a bunch of other so we could say it could be Akedah Yitzchak. But the question then is, did it take place Akedah Yitzchak on Rosh Hashanah? That's why we have the Shofar. And that's why we associated Rosh Hashanah with, with, with judgment. And then we have also, we, we hope to get out of the judgment good. And the reason for that is again the same. Because on Rosh Hashanah, what happened the first Rosh Hashanah of history? Man was created. And when man was created, man sinned. God said he's going to get killed. He didn't kill him. So just like God allowed Adam a level of forgiveness after he sinned, we say he should allow us on the day of judgment a level of forgiveness. So you have these days that have a spiritual power. There are, every holiday has a spiritual power. Now the question is, there's an argument in the Gemara, for example, between two rabbis when Yom Kippur comes out. The court says it comes out on this day, and a certain rabbi says, no, it comes out on this day, the day before. So the court ordered that rabbi on the day he said Yom Kippur would come out to come and present himself in front of the court with his money belt and his staff so that he would show it's not Yom Kippur. But isn't it in the Torah? So isn't it in the Torah? When's Yom Kippur? What day in the Torah is Yom Kippur? The 10th of Tishrei. But who decides when the 10th of Tishrei is? Us. That's it. So the whole idea is that God gives us the power to determine the calendar. And with that comes so many things. Because where God, the first mitzvah in the Torah, why is this the first mitzvah in the Torah? Because God is telling you before anything, you have the power. Is that why Nisan is the first? Nisan is the first month of the year. It's the spring. This is when Hashem is saying to count the calendar from now. Nisan always has to come in the spring. And we have something else associated with the calendar. It would be much easier if our calendar was simply a solar calendar. Because the solar calendar is 365 days. You have to add a leap year every fourth year. Every hundredth year, we have to deal with the the few minutes. But you keep everything pretty much in sync. What happens is we have a lunar calendar. So what do we have to do this year in order to make sure Pesach comes out in the spring? We have an Adar Bet. We add a leap year. What does a leap year do to the horoscope, to the astrological forces? It changes everything in the astrological forces because... All the dates change because Passover now is a month after you might have thought it would be. That means who's deciding that this is Passover, this is the day I can't eat bread and I have to eat matzah. Who's deciding what day that is? We are. And we know when Passover comes out, it's a day of freedom. It's a day we say the night of Passover, the night before, is called Lel Shimurim. There's all these energy forces 
that come along with Pesach. And who decides that those energy forces come out on that day? We do. So the first mitzvah in the Torah that Hashem is giving us is telling us you control time. But it's much more than controlling time. Because if I'm going to tell you that the astrological forces are real, and we have to say that the astrological forces are real. And I, I can tell you a story that happened when I was young. My brother, you know the story. My brother, my brother when I was 18 or 18 or 19, he had a very famous astrologer do my charts. No, Ruby. We're going to get Victor in trouble? Yeah. Get Ruby in trouble. So, okay. So they, this, this astrologer did my astrological charts. Basically, there was a folder with charts, and she made an hour tape telling me about my life going forward. So I got this. It was my gift. I said, you're not allowed to do this. Even though I wasn't so whatever. I put it on the side, and that was the end of it. I put it on the side and I wouldn't I would didn't listen to it. I didn't open it, I didn't listen to it. Wait, now let's let's go forward. Let's go forward. Now let's go forward. So I'm gonna go forward twenty years from that point. I was learning, we had we had a class with my rabbi. We were sitting around like this, about a dozen guys. We had a class every Monday night in in we were learning in Benishai, we were learning in about astrological forces, the effect of astrological forces. And Rabbi Abitan, who's the outside is tomorrow night, said astrological forces, according to Ramban, absolutely have an effect on us. Someone who knows how to read charts can tell you your whole life. So I said, Rabbi, I have this tape that's 20 years old. What should we do? He goes, bring it next Monday night. The next Monday night, we brought the tape. We played the tape in front of everybody. Everybody listening to the tape thought the rabbi and I were playing a joke on them. Because this lady basically saw my life year by year. Everything pretty much that would happen, she had predicted to the T. Did it happen? Is she still alive? Poor guy. She was in Ohio. In Ohio. She was in Ohio. She was in Ohio. We'll have to ask Ruby. I don't remember. So, where I would live, who I would go into business with, what I would be doing, the fact that I wouldn't be living in the middle of the community, all of these things, my kids, everything was there. It was... It was... And the, and the rabbi said, you see, well, that's there are people who can see. But I said to him then, but what, should I have listened to it before? He goes, had you listened to it before, you would have changed based on hearing it and messed things up. So now if we're saying, I, I should have, right. So, so the, the, idea, the, the idea is this. That means that astrological forces work. Based on when I was born, my moon, sun, da, 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 and all of that is associated with our calendar because the Jewish calendar is associated with each of the uh, the the constellations for each of the months. Wait, so the, are you well, saying so, like on certain birthdays, or yeah, months, you feel like you're more connected with people in that time? So that's true. Yes. Yeah, I know it. I can tell you twelve things that you can't believe. But look more to the Hebrew birthday. Look more to the Hebrew birthday than to the English birthday. And also the moon, where the moon is. 
the, look, but if you look at the Hebrew birthday, the Hebrew birthday will tell you where the moon is. Because, for example, I'm born on the 29th of Av, which means I'm born with no moon. I'm the last day of the month of Av, or Rosh Chodesh of the next month. So that's one thing. My wife is born on, on Pesach. So she's born at a full moon. Very scary. Full moon. And what's interesting with my wife is my wife's Hebrew birthday and her English birthday are both the same as my father because they're 38 years apart. They were both April 10th, second Seder, born. When was yours? What? When was yours? I'm uh, Av 29 in August, the, right before Elul. So. But but the idea that I'm saying is the date. The, but the the, re, the the problem with all of that is the date. The date you were born on the Hebrew calendar was determined by the court. The court, which determines Rosh Chodesh, which determines what the day is. So, for example, when Haman, when Haman is trying to destroy the Jewish people, and he does a poor, he does a, a lottery, and he picks out a date from the lottery, which is the 13th day of Adar. And he saw through the astrological forces that he has the ability to destroy the Jewish people on this day. What did Mordechai do? Aside from the whole story you read, he made that year a leap year. He added a month. And by adding a month, what did he do? He messed up everything that Haman saw. So what, ha- so what happens... What? No, no, we, always, we had two Adars always. But he put a second Adar... He, he put a second Adar that month. Oh, that's interesting. It could be. So she says, "Why do we have? Why is this the extra month Adar? Because Adar is really the last month before Nisan. So we have to decide to add it because we have to adjust. It's always adding the month to make sure we adjust for spring. But he added the extra month in order to mess up Haman's connection to the astrological forces. And there, what happens is once he decides to add that extra month." Within three days of Haman coming up with his plan, Haman is dead. If you go through the whole story of Purim, it goes over nine years. But if you go from the time that Haman got the ring and sent out the edict until Haman was hanging on the tree, it's only three, four days. But I have a question. You can just add a month if you feel like something's happening. So, so, yes, yeah, so the court, so, so like we say, the angels ask Hashem, when is Yom Kippur? The, the Hashem says to them, go ask my children below. Because my children below will determine the calendar. So if I'm going to say that Yom Kippur has this ability to give us forgiveness, whether we're up or not, whether we do anything or not, that means that day has power. Who decided when Yom Kippur was? God or us? So the first mitzvah that Hashem is giving in the Torah is telling you, you are in control of time. What did he call that month that he added? Probably Adar Bet. So why? Let's do another Hashanah. What if someone knew? Maybe they would have made last year the 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 problem. The problem we have now is that we had to set the calendar. So the calendar is set. What happened was 
at the, at the second temple period, what we were doing is we were still doing the bonfires. And what was happening is the people who wanted to mess us up would light bonfires on the wrong day to mess us up so we should lose Rosh Chodesh. What, was the main, what were the main things that the Greeks tried to take away from us? Was Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, and Brit Milah. Those were the three things. But really, what did those have to do with? They wanted to take Rosh Chodesh to take away our ability to control time. You have the ability to control time. So the first mitzvah that Hashem is telling you in the Torah is what has to be the most important thing for you in your life? Controlling time. You can either be a slave to time or you could realize to control time. Throw out the cell phone. Well, you could realize to control time. You have to be able to realize to control time. So that that's please. So so they came. Like I know it's a little bit off the top. No, but but let's just say because let's just say what that problem what the problem is. So that I was going to go somewhere else, but let's try to answer that. So they asked Rav Yaakov Hillel. Here's here's the problem. And I, I'm going to tell you, we were here in the city, and we had to decide, do we do the dancing of Simchat Torah or not, based on what had happened that day. So realize, so this all happened on Shemini Atzeret. Mm-hmm. Shemini Atzeret, in Israel, Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah are one day. Yeah. Here, Shemini Atzeret is the one day, and Simchat Torah we make the next day. But there, they were celebrating that day, Simchat Torah, when did you find out? The first hour was at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, you had, you had rockets coming in, and that's when you... But when did you know that they were invaded? Moshe found out at like 8.15 when he was walking back to the apartment. And then did they tell him to come to the to go right away to the army? or? Not him, but a lot of other people. As he was walking home, there were guys like in their Shabbat clothing running from shul, getting into cars. Oh my, God. my daughter was there, um, and they knew from very early. Yeah. So, so, so the the question. So we we were here and we heard what happened. So here's here's the problem where your question comes in. What is Shemini Atzeret all about? So Shemini Atzeret. Why do we celebrate Simchat Torah with Shemini Atzeret? Why don't we celebrate Simchat Torah on Shavuot when we got the Torah? So we see that we have Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. Then what happens is. We, we have Rosh Hashanah, then we go through a one-week period, which is basically Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, 10 days of Teshuvah. There's one week from the last second day of Rosh Hashanah till Yom Kippur. Then we have Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of forgiveness. Yom Kippur is a special day because we said that that was the day Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second set of Luchot and said, Hashem forgives you. Then what happens is, Moshe Rabbeinu makes an announcement the next day, the 11th day of Tishrei. Remember, the energy is coming from the day because of things associated with the day. The 11th day of Tishrei, Moshe comes down and says, we're going to build a Mishkan. Why are they building Mishkan? Maybe we could say, even though many rabbis say the Mishkan was always meant to be, maybe we could say that the sin of the golden calf is because the people needed some physicality associated with their worship. So after Hashem forgives them, Moshe says, okay, we're going to build a Mishkan so that at least we have some level of physicality that you could connect to. And then he makes an announcement 
on the 11th day, that we're going to build a Mishkan. Whoever wants to give, give. And if not, not. Three days later, Moshe gets up and says, this is the 14th day. He says, stop. Don't give us any more money. We collected more than we need. We're done. What happens the next day? They begin to build the Mishkan. What day is that? The 15th day of Tishrei, which is the holiday of Sukkot. What is the holiday of Sukkot? When we go, and, and I need you to have this in order to understand what Shemini Atzeret, and the ramifications and the question that was asked to Rabbi Yaakov Hillel. You good? Yeah. Oh. So, so we, go, we, go, we go from, so we start Sukkot, and when we have Sukkot, what is the idea of Sukkot? We go into the Sukkah. We have, in the holiday of Sukkot, we have a halacha, a law, that says that if a person is bothered in the Sukkah, they're allowed to go in the house. So if you go in the Sukkah and it's cold, and you say, I'm too cold to go in the Sukkah, you can go in the house. If a person says it's a little raining, I'm going to go in the house. If a person says it's too buggy, I'm going to go in the house. You have a zillion excuses that I'm going to go in the house. Now, we don't have that with any other mitzvah. So for example, I'm the little kid whose bar mitzvah is this week, and they come to put the tefillin on me, and you know, they, the first time the kid, they pull it so tight, they, the kid said, I don't want to take off my tefillin, I don't want to wear it, it's bothering me. Or I can't say, you know, when I was a little kid, we used to come home from school, the first thing we did was take off our tzitzit, you know, it's bothering me, right? But can I say I don't want to wear my tzitzit because it's bothering me? Why not? Why can't you say, I don't want to do something because it bothers me? Why the only mitzvah that we're told to do, we have an excuse to say, I don't want to do it because it's bothering me. Why is Sukkot? Is it Sukkot? Time? with the emunah? Like, isn't it you go into the Sukkah and you, like, um, show emunah Hashem that you don't need all the materials? But, so, but, but, what, but other things of emunah, I have to have the emunah whether so it bothers day, me or not. The date, so, it was pouring this year, but we got the ability to go that night in the middle of the rain. Everything yeah, stopped so we could go in. Yeah. I like that. That would be good. Maybe, but can we? Why couldn't we just pick which one we want to use that on? <laughs> it's like you know the phone. You know the, you know, the 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 question. You know, I have one. So the the answer really. But the first the first mitzvah the first mitzvah of the Ten Commandments is what Anochi Hashem Elokecha, which implies you have to believe in God. Do I have a choice to believe in God or not? We say it every day. You have to love God. Do I have a choice? I'm really told you have. How could you command me to love? You always have a choice. But so the question is, why do I have a choice when it comes to the sukkah of not going in or not? So if we think of what the sukkah represents, what does the sukkah represent? The sukkah represents the clouds that we lived under in the desert. It says that when we sinned with the golden calf, Hashem took the clouds back. And which day did He bring the clouds back? On Sukkot, when we began to build the Mishkan. Because the idea of the Mishkan was, Hashem said, you should build the Mishkan, ve'shachanti betocham. 
It says, it says, I will dwell within them. Not not in this building, but if you build it, I will dwell within each of you. So the clouds come back on that day and the clouds, the clouds are associated with the sukkah. So when we build the sukkah, the first night when we sit in the sukkah and we eat the piece of bread, we have to remember that when we left Egypt, Hashem put us under clouds, which completely protected us from external forces because we were completely associated with Hashem. If I tell you, I will dwell within, within them, within you, that means you and Hashem are completely bonded. When do we have the ability to completely bond with God? So we say that the Sikhach, the Sikhach, the Sukkah, is, is a gematria of 91. 91 is also Amen, when we say Bracha Amen, but it's also the name of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke, associated with the way we say Hashem's name. So we, we read Hashem's name in the Situr, a Yud, a He, a Vav, and a He. That's 26, but we pronounce it Amonai. Aleph, Dalid, Nun, Yud, which is 65. 26 and 65 is 91. When I go into the Sukkah, and I'm trying to re-experience life when it w- I was in the desert under the clouds, that means I'm saying, Hashem is Veshachanti Betochi. He's dwelling within me. When we go into the Sukkah, we have each night the guests come into the Sukkah. You think Abraham is coming to visit me? No. Why is Abraham coming to the Sukkah with Yitzchak, Yaakov, etc.? Because who's in the Sukkah? God. So when I enter the Sukkah, who's in the Sukkah? Hashem. And I am then associating myself more than any. I went through Rosh Hashanah. I went through my judgment. I went through Yom Kippur, my forgiveness. I went through the preparation days, which is the days between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Now I've completely bonded with Hashem. That's my time. So I have permission. If I say it's bothering me, leave. Hashem is saying, you don't want to hang with me? Don't hang with me. Go. You don't want to go. This is your benefit. This is the time to be together. That's why during Sukkot, we're supposed to spend as much time. We should relearn, study. They sleep in the Sukkah. Exactly. Now to go to the question where we ask. During the seven days of Sukkot, we bring 70 animals as sacrifices. Why do we bring 70 animals as sacrifices? Because we bring 70 animals for the benefit of the nations of the world. The Gemara says that had the nations of the world understood the value of the Bet HaMikdash for them, they would have defended it with their lives. That's 70 animals during Sukkot. Now Sukkot ends. You make a big, so we, we could imagine for a second a king makes a huge party or even our weddings. Let's go to our weddings. Because that's the perfect thing. We make a wedding. We have a thousand people come to the wedding. You stand there. I love you. Kiss, kiss. Everybody comes in. Dance. Come in, out, go. There's a thousand people at the wedding. What happens at the end of the wedding? The caterer takes a couple of tables. He sets them with food. And we sit to do the Sheva Berachot with who? Your close family. Only the closest people to you. So you have seven days of Sukkot, 
where Hashem says the whole world should come to Sukkah. It says that when the Mashiach comes, the nations of the world are going to say to Hashem, why can't we be? Hashem's going to say, I'm going to give you one mitzvah. What's the mitzvah Hashem's going to give the nations of the world? The Sukkah. The Sukkah. The Sukkah is for everyone. They reject it, but it's for everyone. After those seven days, Hashem says, okay, the party's over. Let them all go back home. I want to have one more day of a party only with my closest family. That's Shemini Atzeret. On Shemini Atzeret, how many sacrifices do we have? One. What's the one sacrifice of Shemini Atzeret represent? B'nai Israel. So the problem, the problem is, I got to Shemini Atzeret. I went from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the days in between, through Sukkot, living with Hashem, where even when we had the rain, He let us in for the night so that we had it. Even when we had the rain the next day, He let us in for a little bit so that we were able to do. We were able to do each of the meals when we had to do the meals. I come through the end of Sukkot, and where should I be? At the highest level of the holiday, the day where we completely bond and bind ourselves with Hashem. And what happens on that day? Disaster. So how do you answer? So they came to Rav Yaakov Hillel. And they asked, so Rav Yaakov Hillel is probably the, the, the main mikubal of our generation. He's in Yerushalayim. He's the head of the yeshivot, uh, yeshiva of Mekubal. One of the main yeshivot of the mikubal. So he, they came to him and they said this question. Rabbi, what does it mean that Hashem did this to us on that day? Does it mean that Hashem is saying worse? Because it says when Hashem makes it rain on the on Sukkot, on Sukkot it says that Hashem was telling you, "I don't want you." I don't want you. What does it mean exactly? <laughs> what does it mean? Right, that was my excuse this year, but at least we got to go in. But what does it mean when this disaster happens on the day of Shmini Atzeret? when we're supposed to bond, when we celebrate the Torah, when we're dancing only together, when it's only you and us, when it's, so to say, the honeymoon between Hashem and B'nai Israel, what does it mean? Does it mean I totally reject you? That's the Es Rav Yaakov Elel. And Rav Yaakov Elel said, if we were worthy, it would not have happened. Very simple. But, but, I have to answer. She doesn't like it. But if we were worthy, it wouldn't have happened. But because it happened, what happens next? That's the question. And because it happens, we become closer. We become closer. And there are certain times that Hashem does things and we don't know why they happen or what the reason is or why certain people or... You know, you had one rabbi lost two of his sons who were at the, the border. How, how could it be? They were in the army. They were at the, the border. One, one guy, two sons. How could you? Yeah. So, so you have, you have, you have, it's a disaster. A disaster that we can't understand. But what can we understand the next day? That's all we could understand. And it means the next day, Hashem is sending us a message. Hashem is sending us a message that says, the Bet HaMikdash is not rebuilt. I can't really, 
I can't be Veshachanti Betocham. The whole purpose of Yetziat Mitzrayim is not that we should leave Egypt, not that we should be free, not that we should rush into the desert, not even to come into the land, was so that we should build the Mishkan and the Mikdash, and Hashem should say, Veshachanti Betocham, dwell among you. We got to that point, Hashem can't say Veshachanti Betocham. Why? Why won't Hashem say Veshachanti Betocham? Because we lack unity. What was it that caused the destruction of the Ben HaMikdash? Sinat Hina. Meaning baseless hatred. A lack of unity. So what did this, all the tragedy included, what did it accomplish? Maybe it accomplished in some way some sense of unity. Maybe it's a wake up that we have to be together. I can't answer why. Obviously, I don't have, and if anyone could tell you why it happened, let them come tell us a lot of other things because that means they could read God's mind. We can't read God's mind. We can't see the whole picture. We don't see the picture until the picture is done. But the reality is to answer, what do we get out of it? We know that it was something not good. And like he said, if we were deserving, it wouldn't have happened. And maybe we weren't deserving because of lack of unity. It doesn't say. Maybe, huh? Yeah, you could tell a story. There's tiny, just tiny, like, it's, like, cute, but it really shows. One of my friends, her brother, like, looks like a classic religious guy in Israel. Like, he wears what's called, like, a kippah struga. Like, it's, like, a knitted kippah and whatever. And he was one of those guys that went just now to all the protests that Israel was having. Like, against, like, the left and the right fighting each other. Super opinionated. And it was very scary in Israel during that time in Tel Aviv and... On Yom Kippur, like, there was a huge fight outside. Like, they ripped down the mechitza, started hitting each other during the ila. Like, it was horrible. There, there, there's a go. So, Michaela, my, my, my other daughter. She's so cute. Oh, so, my, my other daughter, Michaela, they had a service. Uh, 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 they had a service at, uh, at Neila. They were, on the beach. They were on the beach. And they were on beautiful. the beach and they had a thousand this people. Year. This yeah. year. Yeah. They were on the beach in Tel Aviv, Neila, a thousand people, religious, not religious. It was absolutely beautiful. beautiful. Two blocks away. They had an, it's called Dizengoff Center, another outdoor minyan. That's like cars are driving all around. And it ended up being like one of the worst situations Israel has had with like the, it's called the Dati, which is religious, and the Chiloni, which is not religious, mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my friend's brother, who after October 7th was in America, he got on a plane, flew to Israel, and went to his Miluim service, and his base is near Be'er Sheva. And on his way to base, he like quickly, ran, in in the south. quickly ran into a coffee shop, and he's wearing his kippah ruga, his uniform, and an Israeli guy next to him clearly looks like Chiloni, not religious, says, can I pay for your cup of coffee? Um, and his name's Sam. Sam's like, why would you pay for my cup of coffee? And he's like, I can tell that a few weeks ago, you and I were enemies, but today oh, we're brothers. And it's a tiny story, but it just shows the, the, change, of, uh, the change of heart yes, and, and mind. So they said there was so much division and... and, and no, but it was it, it was ter- terrible animosity, and it was over in a minute. It's all over the world. So I I have a neighbor. We have a neighbor by us. He's a lawyer. He's a he's a lawyer for the un- for the teachers union, as far left as you could be. He's in his mid seventies. 
He said he's been a liberal... In America, where we live. Liberal, left-wing guy, his entire life. I came back one night. Uh, He stopped me in the car to come out of the car to come talk to him. And he asked me what's happening with my kids. And I said, you know, it's interesting. He goes, I realized something. My whole life, I've been a left-wing liberal. I've been a two-state solution, Palestinian supporter. He said, I've been the complete left. He said, I got slapped in the face and I realized that my whole life I was wrong. Wow. We had this situation, so we, were, we got a request from the MOD, from the, from the Ministry of Defense. We were trying to buy vests to get to my son-in-law and all the stories with the vests. Then the Ministry of Defense sent a request to send $8.2 million. This is the first week of the war. This is the Wednesday after everything started that Shabbat. The Ministry of Defense asked to get $8.2 million to buy drones from a company in Florida to send the drones to Israel. The company in Florida had already sold the drones to the Ukraine. And they asked, can we step in and try to speak to them and try to get the drones sent to... Sent to... Uh, Where did the money come from? came from a guy who basically, when he was asked for the money, said, I haven't been in shul in 25 years. I haven't fasted on Yom Kippur since I was a little kid and my grandmother made me fast. He said, I have zero connection to Judaism. When he was asked for the money, he basically said, are you nuts? Okay, four hours later, he came in and confirmed that the transfer was sent for $2.2 million from his own personal account to be able to send the first set of drones. So, I don't know why. But all you could see is what happens after. We don't know why, but for sure that it happened that day was a heavy-duty message. It was a heavy-duty message from Shemayim. There's, a, there's something that I talked about earlier in the week or last week that there was a question is, how do we know if we're being punished or if Hashem is sending us a message? How do we know the difference if we're being punished or if Hashem is sending us a message? I said it on, I said it on Sunday. So there's a story in the Gemara about a certain rabbi, and he's ill. He's going to die. And he's in bed, and a rabbi comes to visit him. His name is Ben Taradion. Who's this rabbi? This rabbi is the rabbi who, the Gemara says what happened to him. He was teaching Torah. The Romans came, discovered him teaching Torah, wrapped him in a sefer Torah, and burned him alive. Not only that, they put wet cotton in between the Torah and his body, so that he should suffer more. So he comes to visit this rabbi, and this rabbi tells him, what are you doing? Why are you teaching Torah in public? You're going to get killed. And he says, no, Hashem's going to have mercy on me. He goes, I wouldn't be surprised if they took you and wrapped the Torah around you and burned you at the stake. And this is what happened. But in between, the Gemara tells a story. This rabbi who came to him says, what's my place in Shammayim? To the rabbi who's passing away. And the rabbi who's passing away says to him, did you do ever do anything good? Do anything good? This guy's risking his life every day teaching Torah. He's going to give his life for teaching Torah. Did you do anything good? He says, yeah. One time, one time I took the money from Purim that I collected for all the poor people. And what did I do with the money? I put it in my pocket with all my own money. He says, and what'd you do? He says, I knew I mixed the money. I didn't want to take a chance and mess it up. So I gave all of the money 
away to the poor. And the, you know, the comment there is maybe he was cheap, right? He says he gave all the way the money to the poor. And the rabbi tells him, your place in heaven is very high. I wish my place should be next to you in heaven. And all the rabbis ask a question, what? This guy sacrifices his life for the Torah. He dies Al-Kiddush Hashem. It's a story we read about every single year. We read about the story that someone should die Al-Kiddush Hashem. You're telling me that his place in heaven is because he stuck his hand in his pocket? So the, the, the Baal Hatanya, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, he answers. He gives an unbelievable answer. He says that maybe this guy was an intellectual. He liked to teach Torah. There are certain people, mad scientists, crazy professors. They like to learn. They're willing to give up everything so that they could study all day mathematics, psychology, history, whatever. That's what they like to do. He said, but what did the guy do? When he put his hand in his pocket and he went against his nature and he gave away the money, that shows you that a person going against their nature is the highest level that they could be. So we all, we started this, we say, we're all subject to mazal. We're all subject to our mazal. We're all subject to our nature. We're subject to the laws of nature. How do you overcome the laws of nature? The single biggest test that the Gemara is explaining when telling the story is to tell you the way you can overcome your nature is by stepping out of your comfort zone and going against your nature. If your nature is to sleep late, then get up early and learn. If your nature is that I love to go to exercise, then sit one day and teach someone instead of going to exercise. If your nature is X, go against your nature and do something against your nature to prove that you're really doing it. All the avot attested against their nature. Avraham is chesed, he's told to kill his son. Yaakov is truth. He's told to go and basically tell a story. All of the Avod are tested to go against their nature. The biggest test that we face is going against our nature. That's how we go. So we start the thing and we say, what's the purpose of this, this being, this, this first mitzvah being this first mitzvah? To tell you you control time. You control a lot of things. Don't think that you're subject to a world where it's because my parents, it's because my environment, it's because the stars I was born under. We all could have that excuse. And what this is telling you is, no, you control time. But more than the fact that you control time, even when you think you're subject to nature, you have the ability to overcome anything that's nature in your life by what? By overcoming the nature. And how do the rabbis explain? They say that when Hashem does something to you, that has to do with nature, maybe Hashem is saying, I don't have anything to do with this person. Let him just live by nature. He wants to live by nature, doesn't want to have me in his life, let him live. But if something happens to me that's beyond nature, then what does that mean? That Hashem is sending me a message. Rabbi Eliashiv, who was the rabbi who passed away in 2012, he was like 100, he said something when they had the suicide bombers. He said, you should know that the suicide bombers, no matter how tragic, it must be something from Hashem to wake us up. Why? Because he says it's against nature for a person to kill themselves. It's against nature for a mother to say, I'm so proud of my son. He brought an example of a, of a, a lady who had just had a baby 
and then went into the ambulance three days after she had the baby, strapped with a suicide bomb with her baby. He says, what is this? It's not normal. It's not the way we are. It's not normal for human beings. So we know if it's against nature, what happened on Shemini Atzeret this year is against nature. It's against nature. There's no question that. Hashem is associated with that happen, and there has to be a message to us. No matter how painful it is, there has to be a message to us. When you said you, you 